Well, so what happened on the cross? That's the series we're in the middle of. What happened on the cross? Now, there's not a single answer to that question. There are actually lots of answers. That's why we're doing a whole series instead of a single day. And so last week, last week we talked about that when Jesus died on the cross, he defeated sin, evil, and Satan. That's one of the things that happened on the cross. That, that one's up online. It's in the app. You, you can catch up on last week. Uh, if you weren't here, you missed it. Um, but today we're going to look at a little different perspective of what happened on the cross. But first, I want to talk about toenails, okay? I hate clipping my toenails. Fingernails as well. I hate them, okay? I hate clipping fingernails, hate clipping toenails. I just hate it. Cause, so first, it's just such a waste of time. Like, I've got better things to do than snip, 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 file, 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 okay? So first, it's just a waste of time. Second is, you, you deal with the, the toenails flying all over the place. You're like, or the finger, like, clip, bing, and they end up in your bed, in your sink, in your socks, who knows where. But they just fly all over the place. But third, and this is probably my biggest beef with clipping my toenails and my fingernails, is you're just going to have to clip them again. <sighs> it's such a drag. I clip them, and, and so like, you know what I do? It. I don't know, guys, if any of you do this, but like, so I let them grow as long as I can tolerate it. Like, I let them grow. They're scratching my keyboard. They're so long. And then finally, when I get so sick and tired of it, I clip up down until I start screaming. I, there is no white left on my fingernails when I clip because I want there to be the longest gap possible before I have to do this whole thing over again. So, so I hate it because it's just doing the same thing over and over again. There's no way, no real way to stop it. If I could freeze my fingernails and just have them cease growing, I would, totally would. Okay. So what, what is it for you? What is it for you that you just get so annoyed because you have to keep doing it over and over again? Okay. So what maybe, maybe it's cleaning up the kids' toys because, you know, you clean them up and they're just going to get all messy within like five seconds. And this tornado of kids is going to go through your living room. So maybe it's cleaning up the kids' toys. Or maybe it's mowing the lawn. You're like, oh, I hate this lawn. I'm going to have to be out here next Saturday again. And you just get tired of it. Okay? Or maybe, how about, do you ever get sick of your morning routine? Where, and so you decide to try to change it up. But then you're like, wait. And it, my order's all messed up. Like, did I put on deodorant? Wait, what's my breath? And you just get the system all messed up. Well, I think, why do these things bother us so much? These monotonous routines that you do over and over and over again. Why is it that they bother us so much? Well, I've, I've got a few ideas. So first, is it because they seem never-ending? Like, I will never be able to no longer have to clip my fingernails. That's a pretty depressing thought. I will have to do this until I die. So maybe it's, maybe it's because they feel never-ending. Okay? Or maybe it's the monotony. It's the same thing. It's not like clipping toenails will ever get interesting. I, I did buy a new fancy clipper, though, and that made it a little more interesting for, like, the first time. <laughs> yeah, I need more excitement in my life. Okay. So, or maybe it's, maybe it's this fact that there's no lasting change. There's no lasting change. You know, like, it's, it's awesome after you've done it, but you know it's not going to last. The kids' toys are going to end up all over the family room again. So, 
as I think about all these things that get so frustrating, I sometimes wonder if the Israelites of the Old Testament ever felt this way about their sacrifices. See, the, so God, early in the Bible, early, early in the story of God with the Israelites, God instructed them to offer some sacrifices. And these sacrifices, they were, they were part of the Israelites' relationship to God. And there were all kinds of sacrifices, okay? all kinds of sacrifices. There were mandatory sacrifices and voluntary sacrifices. There were big animal and small animal sacrifices. There were grain sacrifices like flour sacrifices, and there was wine sacrifices. There were daily, weekly, monthly, yearly sacrifices. There were all kinds of sacrifices. And all of these were vital to the Israelites' relationship with God. Okay, they were vital because they served a couple purposes. First, they were to, a way to show devotion to God. And second is, that is how God prescribed for the Israelites to receive forgiveness of their sins. It was the way to deal with their sins. And all of us have to deal with our sins. They did back then, we do now. But there was one problem. There was one fundamental problem to the sacrificial system. They had to keep doing it over and over and over again. There was no lasting change. There was no permanent forgiveness of the sins. Whether it was daily or weekly or yearly. They would have to keep doing it. They would have to bring animals to the priest, bring grain, bring wine. The priest would burn, pour, barbecue, cut, kill, all the different things they did with sacrifices over and over and over again. And that was the fundamental problem. But when Jesus Christ came, all of that changed. And today we're going to look at what changed because this was fundamental for the Israelites and for those that converted to Christianity that, that saw Jesus as the promised Messiah of the Old Testament. And so today we're going to look at what changed with this sacrificial system. And we're going to look at a, a chapter out of the book of Hebrews, Hebrews 10. So let me, let me give you a little bit of background on this. So first, so Hebrews was written to, well, Hebrews, <laughs> hence the name. It was written to an Israelite audience. And, and so these were Jewish Christians, people who grew up Jewish, and then at some point probably in their adult life, when they heard about Jesus, they heard about the miracles, and they heard about how he fulfilled so many of the promises, all of the promises of the, of the Old Testament. They said, I believe Jesus is Messiah, the one that was promised to us by God and they became Jesus followers. That's who this book was written to. And this book has one major theme. Jesus is better than the best of the Old Testament. That Jesus is better than the best of the Old Testament. You see, there was a very particular thing that was happening around the, the time this book was written, is there was a lot of persecution of Christians, and that included Jewish Christians, often by other Jews. So there was a lot of persecution, so a lot of the, the Jews were beginning to feel like, you know, maybe we should just go back to Judaism. 
It was a lot easier that way. And so they were starting, some left the faith already, some tempted to. So it's not unlike if any of you have shaman family members who maybe someone is sick and they, they, they brought the shaman in, didn't get well, so they tried out Christianity. Like they tried going to church and then maybe the person didn't get better, so then they start feeling like, okay, well, well Christianity didn't work, Jesus didn't work, so I'll go back to shamanism. You ever seen that dynamic? That's, that's kind of what was happening here between the Israelites, and this new thing called Christianity. So that's the context. And the author of Hebrews made this huge point, 10 chapters worth, (laughs) to say Jesus is better than the best of the Old Testament. Jesus is better than the angels who ministered in the Old Testament. Jesus is better than Moses. Jesus is better than the priests the high priests. Jesus is even better than the temple, which was their holiest place. So all through chapters 1 through 10, the author is making this point that Jesus is better than all of these things. And the passage we're going to look at in chapter 10 is actually the very end of all of that. Okay, so imagine it takes 10 chapters to say Jesus is better. And finally, he gets to the last area where he says that Jesus is better than the sacrifices. In fact, Jesus is the best sacrifice. So that's what we're going to look at today. That's the passage we're going to look at today. Now, normally, normally here at River Life, I, I preach out of the NIV version. I found it's one of the best balances between understandable and, and close to the original. But th- this particular passage out of Hebrews had some challenging language and challenging sentence structure. So I actually decided to do this out of the New Living Translation. The, the NLT is one of my go-to versions for complex passages. So let's say you're, you're reading the Bible, you're on your app, and something just doesn't make sense, and you're reading in the NIV or maybe the ESV, something like that. Just doesn't make sense. Flip on over to the NLT. It's one of my favorites for devotional reading and when passages are a little tough. So this one was a little challenging, but the NLT, I think, has done a great job making it very easy to understand while at the same time retaining a lot of the original meaning from the the original Greek. So that's what we're going to read from today. Also, it's a bit of a longer passage. It's 14 verses. So this is a great one. If you want to follow along, you can, if you've got your uh, printed Bible, you can follow along with that. If you've got your app, pull, if you've got a Bible app, pull up that. We actually even have a Bible component in our River Life app. You can follow along with that. So it'll make, it'll make today a lot easier if you want to follow along. If not, everything will be up on the screen as well. So let's, let's start. So this is Hebrews 10, starting with verse 1. So we're going to start with verse 1 out of Hebrews 10. Now, this is the first section of three sections we're going to look at. And here Paul, excuse me, not Paul, um, that the author describes that they don't, that, that there's a problem with the law. Okay, here we go. The old system under the, the law of Moses was only a shadow a dim preview of the good things to come, not the good things themselves. So he starts by saying that the law, what we would call the Old Testament, what, what the Israelites would call the Torah, that the law was only a shadow. It was the appetizer. It was the opening act. It was the thumbnail to the full picture. It was only, you could only see a little bit. So that's how he starts off. Next, he moves in to describe the fundamental problem with the sacrifice system. 
The sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again, year after year, but they were never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. If they could have provided perfect cleansing, the sacrifices would have stopped. Thank you. Okay, so do you see the logic? That these sacrifices couldn't provide a permanent solution to sin. Because if they could, people would stop doing them. The reason they continued doing sacrifices over and over again was that it was only a temporary solution. It was only temporary cleansing. So, uh, so that's where he starts. Then he continues. For worshipers would have been purified once for all time, and their feelings of guilt would have disappeared. But instead, those sacrifices actually reminded of them of their sins year after year. For it is not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. So instead of making silt go away, it actually reminded people of their sin. Because they had to keep going year after year, week after week, day after day. They had to keep sacrificing. And so it just reminded, instead of cleansing people, it actually heightened the guilt. So now he closes, he closes by further describing, with the last sentence here, the further describing the fundamental problem. Bulls and goats and sheep and doves and grain and wine, all of the sacrifices, they can't take away sin. And that was the fundamental problem. They were only temporary. Right? So, so that's his first paragraph. Second paragraph, he's, he transitions. He, he transitions to begin to make a, a contrast. And he does this by quoting Psalm 40. So it's one of the Psalms back in the Old Testament. And he quotes this as a conversation between Jesus and God. Okay, so think of that as a conversation between Jesus and God. So here we go. That is why when Christ came into the world, he said to God, you, God, did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings, but you have given me, Jesus, a body to offer. You were not pleased with burnt offerings or other offerings of sin. Then I, Jesus, said, look, I have come to do your will, O God, as is written about me in the scriptures. So here's Jesus. We, we, we get a little Trinitarian picture here. Here's Jesus the second person of the Trinity, talking with God the Father, the first person of the Trinity, at his incarnation, which was when divine Jesus came to earth and became divine Jesus and human Jesus simultaneously at once, having this conversation. And he's saying, that, so God, and he, so here's Jesus saying, God, even though you gave the sacrificial system, it was your idea. It was how they lived it, how the Israelites lived in relationship with you. It wasn't fully what you wanted. Okay? It wasn't exactly what you wanted. It wasn't good enough. Okay? So now, for the sake of time, I'm going to jump down a few verses to 11. So we're going to jump down to verse 11 there. And for here, <coughs> excuse me, 
Um, for here, he makes one final comparison. So remember his point. Remember the big idea that Jesus is a better sacrifice. Jesus is a better sacrifice. And he's going to set up a contrast. And I want you to pay attention. I want you to listen for three things that he contrasts between the old sacrifices and Jesus as a sacrifice. So three things. And to help you out, they're going to be underlined up on the screen. Here we go. Under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sins. Okay? So see, see the three big areas there. First, the priest stands day after day, offers the same sacrifices day after day, and they can never take away sins. They can forgive sins in the moment, but they can't take away sins permanently. Now, Listen to the contrast the author makes in Christ when he's talking about Christ. Remember that Christ is a better sacrifice. Here we go. But our high priest, Jesus, offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins. Good for all time. Then he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. There he waits until his enemies are humbled and made a footstool under his feet. So Jesus is a better sacrifice. He is a single sacrifice for sins. Single sacrifice for sins. He is good for all time. Good for all time. Not day after day. Good for all time. And third, the priests stand and keep working day after day. You know what Jesus did? Jesus died on the cross, ascended to heaven and he sat down on a throne at the right hand of God because the work is done. So there's this amazing contrast between the old sacrifices and Jesus as a better sacrifice. Then he finishes with one final summary statement. One final summary statement. Here it is. For by one offering, he, Jesus, forever made perfect those who are being made perfect holy. So Jesus, by his death, can make you perfect and holy. Okay, now we're going to pause there because I don't know about you, but I mean, I've chosen to follow Christ and I am far from perfect and way off from holy. And I'm guessing you probably feel the same way. That's because we often look at these words differently than how the New Testament writers looked at them. So, so first, this Greek word perfect a better translation, a better notion of this is that it is complete. We think of perfect as without any flaws. Okay? The perfect guy, perfect girl, perfect job is perfect. There's nothing wrong with it. That's not what this is. When the New Testament writers were talking about something perfect, what it means is it's whole. It's complete. It's the way it should be. And that's what happens when you say yes to Jesus, when you believe he died on a cross and rose from the grave. You become complete because that's the way God intended you to be is in relationship with him. And then second is this word holy. 
okay? We think of holy are like really good people or, or like church. You're not supposed to mess around in church because it's holy, okay? And none of that's really right, okay? So this idea of holy, particularly in the book of Hebrews, because it's a little different than the rest of the books of the New Testament, it, this book, this reference to holy is specifically referring to cleansed of your sin. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, he offered a sacrifice to permanently cleanse you from all of your wrongdoing, all of your selfish, selfishness, all of your mistakes, all the things you've ever done to hurt other people and hurt yourself, all the things you will ever do to hurt other people and hurt yourself. Jesus Christ offers cleansing of your sin. So that's, and that's how he wraps up. Okay, so how can we put all of this together? How can we, how can we summarize all of this? Well, I think a good way to put it is this. It was a perfect sacrifice by a perfect person to perfect some very imperfect people. That's what happened on the cross. It was a perfect sacrifice by a perfect person to perfect some very imperfect people. And that's us, by the way, in case you, <laughs> you weren't sure about that. Jesus as the perfect sacrifice that none of the Old Testament sacrifices were. And he was a perfect person without sin, without blemish, to perfect some very imperfect people. So what happened on the cross? Jesus replaced the Old Testament system of sacrifices with one final sacrifice, once and for all. Once and for all. Now, that is great for a theology book. But what about for us? <laughs> what about for us in our daily lives? Because now, so I'm going to talk to two folks. One, one small group of folks in here for whom this could be very relevant. And for the, the other group, we'll need to stretch a little bit, but it's possible. So first, there's some of you who might have grown up shaman. Maybe your families are still shaman. And you understand animal sacrifices. Because maybe you have seen them. Maybe you've been a part of one of the ceremonies. Or maybe you were young and your parents forced you out of the room. But, but the killing of an animal is a part of, of shaman finding lost souls to heal someone who is ill. And there are lots of offerings that are a part of shamanism, whether it's burning money, whether it's killing a chicken, or even a pig in, in some of the more extreme cases. Okay? And so for the, if that is a part of your world, for some of you, that's a very real part of your world. For some of you, your families haven't been shaman for a couple generations. But for some, maybe you have parents, aunts and uncles. And for you, this is a very real part of your world. So for you, I want to say this. There are no more offerings to the spirits. Jesus is the finder of lost souls. Not the spirit of a chicken. Not, not the spirit of a pig. Jesus is the finder of lost souls. There is no more need to offer more offerings. Because Jesus did it once and for all. 
And he did that to close down, to shut down, to replace the Old Testament sacrificial system. And he did it to replace the current existing shamanist system. Because Jesus is the finder of lost souls. Okay? So that's some of you. But for, for the rest of us, whose families have never been shaman or haven't been for as, as long as you can ever remember, what difference does this make? What difference? Because we don't sacrifice animals. That's not a part of our world. But we all have to do something with our sin. Every one of us in here, whether, whether you identify yourself as Christian or not, every one of us has to do something with our selfishness, with, with the behaviors that hurt other people, when we rebel against God, when we do our own thing, and you come back whether it's immediately after or the next morning after, and you regret what you've done. And you feel the weight of disobeying God. What do you do with that? We all have to do something with it. So what do you do with your sin? when you feel the weight and the guilt of disobeying God? Well, do you beat yourself up over it? Do you, beat your, do you punish yourself? Or do you tell yourself, I'm going to try harder next time? And you start amping up. Okay? You start amping up. You're, gonna, you're not going to do it. You're going to go to church more. You're going to try to read your Bible. You're going to try and be a better son, better daughter. And you decide you're going to try harder. Or maybe, maybe you tell yourself you don't have a problem. And you've got friends and family members around you that are trying to tell you you have a problem. And you're telling yourself you don't. And you're convinced yourself, I got it under control. Or maybe you tell yourself it's not really a sin. It's no big deal. We all have to do something with our sin. So what do you, you do with your sin? And here's, here's what the cross means to you. That no matter what you do with your sin, you can stop. You can stop trying to atone for your own sin. You can stop trying to make yourself right or make your relationships right or make yourself feel better with God. You can stop trying to fix your own sin because it gets tiring. And there are times when you know you're not, you're not fooling anyone. You're just lying to yourself. You can stop atoning for your own sin. You can stop punishing yourself. You can stop trying to do harder and harder and be better and be good and just work, work, work. When Jesus Christ died on the cross. He atoned for your sins. All the ones you've done, all the ones you will do, you don't have to make them right. He did by dying on the cross. He has offered forgiveness and cleansing of all the stuff you've done wrong, all the stuff that keeps you up at night, 
all the stuff that weighs on your heart, all the guilt you feel, Jesus Christ wants to free you from that. We may not have a sacrificial system of bulls and goats and doves and grain and wine, but we all have our own systems to deal with our sin. And the invitation that Jesus Christ is making to every one of you is stop. I already did it. I died on the cross for you to free you to give you a relationship with God that you can never have on your own. So what did Jesus Christ do when he died on the cross? What happened on the cross? He provided the ultimate final solution to all of our sins. One sacrifice for all time to give you to give me forgiveness so that we can stop trying to earn it ourselves. Join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you that you have not left us all alone to deal with our sins. Lord, you have not left us to try to repair a relationship with you that we can't repair. But you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins, to offer us forgiveness, to offer us cleansing, to offer us the relationship with you that you want from us. So we thank you for the cross. We thank you for, uh, for an old, obsolete system of sacrifices that we don't have to do anymore because of Jesus Christ. So we thank you for your son. We thank you for his final sacrifice for us. God, and today, today, today I pray for, for all the people in here Lord, for those who are following you, who have said yes to you, who said, I believe in Jesus Christ, Lord, remind them today that you offer forgiveness at the cross. Lord, and for the others who have not said yes to Jesus Christ, Lord, Impress upon them how much you love them, how much you desire a relationship with them, how much you want to forgive them of their guilt, of their shame, of their failure. Let them come to you today, Lord. So we thank you for Jesus, our perfect ultimate sacrifice. I pray this in your name. Amen.